Hey everyone, John here. Man, do we have a special episode for you. So, back in March, I saw this headline. The Maine lobster industry was suing a California aquarium for telling folks not to buy lobster from Maine. And let me tell you, as a guy from Boston, I thought, bold move, Monterey Bay, trying to come between a Mainer and his lobster. Good luck, kid. But it got me thinking about a segment we recorded a while back. It's for a company that brings lobsters from Maine to the masses through food trucks and eventually brick-and-mortar restaurants. I'm talking, of course, about Cousins Maine Lobster. But you see, listening back, I realized I got a lot of questions here. What's it really like working with Barbara Corcoran? Or how about the morning after Shark Tank? And honestly, the question we all need answered, what's the correct way to eat a lobster? So I called up the founders, Jim Salikas and Sabin Lomack, to learn more about their time in the tank and how they've grown the company into not only one of the biggest food trucks across the country, but one of the most successful Shark Tank businesses out there. So let's start with the pitch, learn about the business, and after, we'll talk to the co-founders and hear all about what came next. Spoiler, it involves almost burning down Barbara's house. Oh yeah, see you in the tank. There's no secret formula for better service throughout the customer journey, but there is the all new service hub from HubSpot. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI powered help desk. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out, HubSpot service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. Next up in the tank, we have Cousins Maine Lobster. So this is coming to us from season four, episode six, and it's Sabin Lomack and Jim Salikas. And they are pitching a food truck that brings fresh Maine lobster experiences to the streets of LA. So it's very sure to door in less than 24 hours, which was a very fun slogan. Uh, everything is shipped fresh from Maine to California, and they're asking for 55000 for a 5% stake, which puts their food truck business at about a $1.1 million valuation. The money in this case is to add another truck to their franchise to help with demand because at the point of the episode, they had just one lobster truck selling food to the L.A. streets. What are we thinking initially about Cousins Maine Lobster? No way. Those dudes, their whole pitch is like, I got a guy in Maine who can hook me up with some lobster that he got off the back of a boat, except they're like, they don't, they're not even working. Like they're like out tanning. Look at those guys. If they go back and the lobstermen see them, they're done for, they're getting cut off. They're going to be like, you're an LA boy now. Like you don't get any lobster. They've got their lobster, lobster drug dealers on the side. I thought the same thing. I'm a little worried about the sustainability. I don't think they're putting in the main work ethic. It looks like they're spending more time, uh, more time at the beach. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I thought it was interesting because they're addressing probably a white space in Los Angeles when you have a hyper regional cuisine to an area. A lot of people are bi-coastal between, you know, East Coast, West Coast, and there's probably a lot of nostalgia there for the lobster roll. So I thought that was really interesting. But uh, I agree with John that their whole like how they get it and how they know how to get it just felt a little uneasy. I was like, so if your one supplier gets cut off, 
where where do we go from there? Like when I'm going to, you know, a lobster bake, I want the host to say, I've got a guy who got me my lobster. Like then I'm like, okay. I mean, for like, I just don't trust that as a sustainable long-term business advantage. Uh, so I'd be pretty worried about that. Also, uh, something about lobster rolls in LA just is not working for me. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, do they eat butter? Is... Do they do butter? Yeah, I don't think they eat butter or mayonnaise. Like, what are we That's talking why about? I'll never here? live there. That's why I live in Austin because we do butter. <laughs> we do all the things. Also, like, butter, lobster, and mayonnaise do not go well in the heat. Isn't it pretty mm. hot in LA? I'm a little worried about this whole thing. People waiting around the block to get their expiring butter-coated lobster roll. I don't know. I This may be like a hot take. I always felt like lobster rolls were a little overrated. I was new oh. to the East Coast and see, I'm probably going to get, yeah. They just- John is on. like, how dare you? Maybe because so did, it's not did you like- choose to, Did you choose to move out of New England or were you kicked out of New England? That's what I want to uh, yeah, know. Yeah, they, they dragged me out. No, I said I didn't want to be in negative 10 degree weather again, waiting at the bus for my job. And so I said, I'm going to go back to Austin and literally roast every summer. Nice. So you're not investing, Leslie. No. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> Personal opinions aside, I actually do think food trucks in general are just, I think, such a great idea to kind of test a market, see if it works, then expand. Because just like the overhead for opening a restaurant, staffing, all those things is just so high. So I love the idea of food trucks. I think they're awesome. So I would personally be in despite it not being probably my favorite cuisine. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why they need the shark's money actually. So it sounds like they just want to buy one more food truck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. $55,000, $65,000 or something. They definitely could get a credit line at a bank to do that. And that would be way more favorable to them than actually taking equity from a shark. And it's like, the thing I'm trying to figure out is normally you want the sharks to help you with like mass distribution, mass marketing, Mm -hmm. like expertise in production. Like I get that, like access to expertise and publicity. Like, I don't know. It seems like they just want to buy another truck and sell more lobster. Like they're nowhere close to being able to like really scale this thing up. And I don't know if their supply chain would even like how many lobsters (laughs) can their guy get? That's that's the best line. They have an in. They're locked into a wholesale price, John. (laughs) Yeah. For like lobster for one truck for two months and like probably in the high season of lobster. Like it's going to be winter soon. There's a lot. lot I'm in here like envisioning the wildest catch for his guys, his lobster (laughs) guys. And like, what happens? What happens if he can't get it? Now we know what happens at the end of one show and how it curtails into another. But I thought I thought that was interesting because definitely like LA, probably center of the food truck craze, but a lot of people were finding them on social media and Twitter. I mean, definitely like when I think about the era that that was happening, that was kind of the first time that we really started to see social media like dictate products, dictate the success of businesses. I mean, right, you're standing in line for so long waiting for your lobster roll. Like you got to tweet about it. You got to put it. I don't even think stories, Instagram stories may have been around. Fact check me on that. So. But um, I think that's definitely an area that they are succeeding in now. Well, what did, what did they say? They had 150K of sales in two months. In their first two months of opening. Okay, so their run rate revenue though is it's like like nine hundred what nine hundred thousand like so it's like not that far off from a one million dollar valuation. The question is just like, and I think Mark asked this like, okay, what about seasonality? Like mm-hmm. yada yada yada. So I do have some questions about that. Uh, I also have some real questions about why they're not running the trucks. 
seems very strange that they hired a general manager. Like, I don't know what they actually do. So I think we only got insight into what Sabin does, which was he was a very successful realtor, right? And I think we got his backstory <laughs> where it's like he came to LA, tried the acting shtick, it didn't work out, uh, got into real estate investing. So that's where I feel like this narrative of like, oh, it's like a family business run by me and my cousin starts to fall apart, right? Because as they start to dig on like, okay, how'd you raise your capital? Oh, you're in real estate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who runs your trucks? Oh, you have a general manager. It's not you and your cousin, even though you're the face of it. Um, I feel like that narrative like very sharply started to take a decline. <laughs> yeah. They need to get that brand story on point and get some, get a little alignment there about like why they existed, how they started, all those good things. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like we had the most, this is my grandmother's, this is our grandmother's lobster roll recipe and we have a mission to take it to the world because it was her dying last wish or something mm -hmm. like that like they need a good founder story i agree yeah i think the story was definitely lacking there i think the the story that they have is just sketchy like they just know a guy like how did you meet the guy <laughs> where did you find who the, is guy? the guy who is, is the it guy? your cousin <laughs> And I think it was Damon that brought up too. I didn't know that, he, like Damon said that he was like actually a commercial fisherman for a year, which yeah. I feel like came out of left field. I was like, Love I it. need that origin story. Like, how did how did that happen? Um, but he even mentioned that, like, as someone that's been in that business, you know, that type of exclusivity still doesn't warrant this kind of valuation. So I was like, ooh, so we've got concrete evidence that something quite literally is fishy right here. <laughs> I'm really curious to kind of see where they where they are now. I could only make my own guesses. We can definitely get into that. So after some back and forth, uh, Barbara closes the deal with a fifty five thousand for fifteen percent stake in their company, and that's what the two cousins accept. So it's been over a decade, right, since this pitch aired on TV. And now the cousin's main lobster, I don't know if their social media strategy like spoiled this, but they are a very successful company. So they have over 36 food trucks nationwide wow. and seven brick and mortar locations. So like full on restaurants. They're bi-coastal, uh, which means that they are everywhere from Maine and Massachusetts all the way out to California and Nevada. The business is currently doing $54 million in annual sales That's and a has a total lot of lobster. Lot uh, of lobster. And has <laughs> so much lobster. Uh, and has uh, 38 total franchises. So for all the sharks who couldn't take the heat with this pitch, you can stick that in your pot and boil it. <laughs> well, I guess I was wrong about that one. Go cousins. I'm happy for them. I'm even more, more concerned and curious about the guy because they like now ship lobster. They've got 35 locations. Like how is, <laughs> the is guy, guy keeping up? <laughs> yeah. All right, what did I say? One of the best? So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with founders Jim and Sabin. In it, I learned why Shark Tank is really just the start of some wild MBA program, how Barbara rolls up to dinner straight out of Keanu Reeves' dreams, and of course, you know what I asked about. Who's this guy they know in Maine? Maybe you guys could start. Could you give a quick uh, introduction to who each of you are? Yeah, I'm Sabin Lolak. I'm the older, smarter cousin. Mm. Is that it? That's the intro? Boy, he sounds brilliant. He sounds, he sounds brilliant, folks. Holy smokes. Uh, I'm Jim Salikas. I am uh, one of the co-founders as well. I actually had the idea of Cousins Van Lobster in 2011. Since then, Sabin's been riding my coattails. 
Um, and here we are 10 years later, just uh, had our 10 year anniversary this past summer. So excited to be here. Amazing. And are you guys uh, based in Los Angeles? Is that right? I'm in Los Angeles. Jimmy's in Boston, but oh, nice. headquarters is in Maine. Nice. Okay, great. Uh, so take us back 10 years ago, Cousins Maine Lobster. How did the idea come about? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good story. I'll try to condense it down as best possible, but, um, you know, in short, I was living in Boston, Saban was in LA. We grew up together in Maine and we were very, very close, our whole family and, and of course, Saban myself. And so after college, I was living in Boston, um, and I went out to see Saban and I actually went out to see a nice girlfriend, truth be told, but I uh, spent all my time with Saban, um, just, you know, four or five days in a row. And we got, uh, we went around the town. I'd never been to LA and we ended up at a sushi joint on uh, Sunset Boulevard one night, um, and you know we just one drink led to another. We had far more uh, booze than we did sushi, probably, but we started going down that that kind of reminiscing and the nostalgia of growing up in Maine with our grandparents, uncles, aunts, all our cousins. And long story short, what we found was that inherently, what was always part of these gatherings was lobster in one shape, form, or another. Um, and so we said, man, this is just the best food in the world. And we were so privy to it. You didn't realize it growing up. So they said, another martini, please. And they said, <laughs> what if we bring lobster to Los Angeles? You know, and that was really how the conversation went. Would it be a restaurant? Would it be a truck? We just went down this rabbit hole. But really the reason that we did it and kept talking about it is because it was going to kind of connect what was important and fun to our family. It was going to be a food that we always loved as kids. And we think everyone, when you bite into lobster, has this emotional connection um, it's just this luxury food. So that was kind of the impetus or the start of the idea. And we spent the next year and a half working on it, actually myself on the West or the East coast and saving on the West coast, uh, of how it would come together. I would do supply and distribution, get the product there, saving and work on operations, training staff, uh, getting it together. And some year and a half later, we were launching our very first food truck in 2012. Okay. So let me just say, you guys are, are, and we'll get into this successful entrepreneurs now, uh, like, how do you how do you tell if an idea is a good good idea or not? Like, what made you actually decide like this idea was good enough to go after? Was it that the story was good enough? Was it that you saw the market opportunity? Like, what was the real like? We should actually we should actually do this thing. We didn't know that it was a good or a bad idea at all. We just did it, um, and I think that that's kind of one of the the beauties of just being an entrepreneur, trying things. I don't think you always have to have all the answers figured out ahead of time. You have to, you know, there's no way you can guarantee anything anyway. So it doesn't really matter, but just kind of going after things and and working and figuring it out. So we didn't, we didn't go into this being like, oh, this is a genius idea. Quite the contrary. Um, as it unfolded, it certainly appears to have been a really good idea, but a lot of that comes with what we did after, you know, the work, the dedication, you know, you can have a good idea, but if you're unwilling to work hard for it, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to go. And did you like, have some sort of uh, minimum viable, viable product you rolled out? Did you like, did you experiment? Like, how did you like phase this thing in to test and learn how, how far you should go? Yeah, it's funny. Saban had this one bedroom in West Hollywood. And uh, when, the, when when I'd start flying out there in that, in that year and a half span, and we'd literally bring lobster from Maine. I mean, I'm talking live lobsters, the shells. Yeah, how many we lobsters can you fits. fit in one bedroom? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were making bisque, we were making lobster rolls. We bought the bread. We were literally just going on our on our own to say, hey, this is what we think we like based on what other mothers loved. You know, our mothers are lobster fiends, right? And then we started having some Mainer friends that lived in LA to come over to try things. So we got a feel of what we wanted and we just said the food had to be a tap every time. 
But to Sabin's point, in terms of what was going to come next, we didn't know. We were learning as we went. We thought we had an idea. It was a passion project, as we always say. Like, I wasn't planning to move Los Angeles. Sabin and I weren't planning to quit our jobs. Um, but we did because, you know, once you have a, a potential uh, platform or potential idea come to fruition, you know, we went, we went all in. We cut the cord and we said, There's, this thing's got some legs and we need to make it work. But, you know, we did as much diligence preparation as, as physically possible. But the reality is you don't have a you know crystal ball for the future of, of yeah. how this will go, if the market will want it, if consumers will want it. And that's part of the fun part of being an entrepreneur. Had you already quit your jobs when you, when you went on Shark Tank? No. No, okay. we did our jobs for about six months. We we continued both jobs and you know we weren't sure what to do. We we weren't sure if it was a fad, if it was just Shark Tank. We didn't, you know, we had no clue. So finally we realized we had to go all in and actually give it give it our best shot. And, you know, it was scary, but we did it. Now I watched your I watched your your pitch, uh, and my takeaway was that your competitive advantage was basically that uh, you have a guy in Maine, right? And I feel like the sharks kind of honed in on this is like these guys just have a guy up in Maine that can get them lobster. Like, what's going to stop anybody else? Did you actually feel like that was your competitive advantage, and did you feel like that was something that was going to be sustainable for you over time, or were you stressed about the competition? I think when you short answer, yes. Uh, I don't think it was quite literally as condensed as a guy. But I think that having grown up there, um, been part of this, my sister's been in this industry for 17 years. Um, it is such a small industry when you look at the map of the world and you hone in on, you know, the coast of Maine, um, you know, the, the fishermen themselves, that community, um, the hand that goes to feed businesses like ours, it is a really, really, really small. So the more you are tapped into that and have those connections, like many other businesses, uh, it gives you a leg up and an opportunity not for success, but for the opportunity to have those relationships, the rapport, to be able to get product and get the kind of product you want. Um, that was one of our like biggest points was to, no matter what, represent the state of Maine well. You know, we didn't want to come across as arrogant and cocky and entitled by any means. That was our our biggest kind of concern. More than anything, you know, we say, listen, we want you to buy food from us, Cousins Maine Lobster, but if not, just buy Maine Lobster. You know, focusing on the state of Maine, all the people that uh, work so hard in this industry, um, it's not just the lobster catchers, it's everyone. You know, that was our goal. And I think we've, that's a message that hasn't wavered or changed. If anything, it's just become more prominent throughout the time. Yeah. And I think the one thing that stood out from Shark Tank is when Mr. Wonderful said, hey, I got millions of dollars, I'll just go pay. That is where we really had an advantage because the fishing industry in, in Maine and many others throughout the country has never been one to just accept millions of dollars. It's not like you buy your way in, like if we we're going to manufacture stools and someone's like, oh, I got more money than you do. I'll make this stool for less or pump out more or have a better distribution. That probably is true then. But for a wild caught animal that are, you know, generations and generations yeah. of family businesses passed down, they'd like to do business with people that are um, not just from there, but, you know, can be part of that community, that industry and kind of grow sustainably and ethically along with, you know, the kind of parallels the way they've run their private businesses as well. Mm. You know, stool industry, the, you know, the building stools, that's also, that's also based in uh, New England. Yeah. I think Gardner, Massachusetts yeah. is the chair capital of the world. That's next. That. That's next. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you talked about quality food, give it to me. Wait, give me like the, the optimal lobster roll. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's pretty simple. I mean, we put lobster and bread, uh, so we don't have a secret recipe. We don't have a, a recipe that is uh, proprietary. Um, we just source the best quality lobster. 
the highest grade lobster from Maine. You know, the traditional New England style rolls. You can put a little mayonnaise on the base. You can put a little warm butter on it and that's it. Um, and it, it's really reminiscent of our childhood. It's reminiscent of the simplicity of what it should be. You, you know, if you go get the best steak in the world, you're not going to douse it with sauce and stuff. So it's really quite simple. And I think that um, that's what makes it special. Amazing. You know, when I thought lobster rolls and LA, the two didn't naturally like click to me. I was like, oh, I'm not sure that people in LA want to eat mayonnaise and butter. Uh, that's just not you my weren't impression either. of people yeah, in we, LA. We, we weren't <laughs> either. You know, we're doing projections on hopefully selling 37 rolls a day. And breaking, <laughs> you know, so we, you know, when you asked what our expectations were, it was to hopefully just break even and run a good business. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, cool. So let's get to Shark Tank. Uh, okay. So how do you get selected for Shark Tank? Like, how does that actually work? It's like all those other reality shows where you go out for open casting, you know, these events throughout the country, you can pitch your idea and they call you back or they don't. And you kind of keep going down that funnel. Um, but back then, you know, they were reaching out to probably 30 or 40 groups a year that they had come across, you know, read about, et cetera. Um, the way that it worked for us is that our very first opening night, Saban put out a tweet of ourselves and uh, our grandfather in 1987 on the shore of a lobster shack in Maine and said, Hey, we're opening our food truck tomorrow. We're called Cousins Maine Lobster. They saw that one of their casting uh, members came to the event unbeknownst to us. Uh, and that night when we got home, we had an email and a phone call from Shark Tank saying, hey, we have interest in your business. We'd love to you know, eventually have you on the show if things go right. So over the next two months, we actually said no to the show twice. Really? Um, yeah. And not because of certainly not ego. We did not have any real business uh, history in terms of transactions and sales to, to make a projection on. Um, but eventually an executive producer called us uh, who we're still very close to today and said, if you guys don't do this, you'll be making the worst decision in your life. So Fast forward a couple months later, we were shooting in July of 2012. It aired in October of 2012. It's been an uh, amazing but challenging ride uh, ever mm -hmm. since. Now, I heard you did uh, an extreme preparatory practice to get ready for the show, to get ready for all the questions. Uh, you want to you wanna share with the listeners how you prepped? Yeah. I mean, we kind of took it back to like school days where we got these index cards and wrote questions. We watched about 50, 60 episodes of Shark Tank kind of felt that there were a lot of patterns with what the sharks were asking, where Cuban would ask questions like this, you know, Damon would ask questions like that. And we created our own questions and we pretended to be that shark. So Jim would stand up and pretend to be Damon and I would answer it and vice versa. We did it over and over and over. Uh, we'd stand in the mirror and do it. We'd try to distract each other while the other one was in the mirror. Um, as ridiculous as it could possibly get, you could imagine we were trying to do it. Um, so when the show came and the day came and we were on, the lights were bright, and was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, for the most part, we knew the answer to the questions that they were asking as it was coming out of their mouth. Not everyone, but for the most part. Um, and again, you know, it's kind of our message when we talk to people about preparation. It's like, we aren't the smartest guys in the world, but we, we certainly like to think that we prepare well. Yeah. Um, prepare well, work hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we, you know, that was really our secret. We were running, we would go on jogs to get our heart rate up and get scared and kind of freak each other out and do whatever we could do. <laughs> you know, we represented ourselves and more importantly, state of Maine, I think really well on the show. Yeah, you did it. I mean, you did a really great job. It was impressive. Uh, do you know when you're going in, like, uh, like, uh, number one, like what sharks will be there? Do you know, like if there'll be a guest shark, do you know, like what the other companies pitching will be? Do they give you any of that info or you just like roll in? Yeah, we actually knew they, you know, whatever point they called us and said, Hey, we'll put you up in the hotel. You're going to be airing on Tuesday for example, or shooting on Tuesday. 
Uh, we found out then, so maybe 48 hours beforehand, who the panel was going to be of sharks. Um, to which, interesting note, Barbara was not on the panel at the time. Um, and we had targeted her because of kind of research and preparation we had done with her working with food groups and kind of the, the feeling we got of her as a, as a mentor and, and business partner. Um, so, you know, we actually said, no, we're not, we're not going to show up tomorrow. And they said, well, no, that's not a thing. I said, no problem. No disrespect. We're just not going to come because, you know, we had our eyes set on Barbara. So they actually pushed us a day uh, to when Barbara would be on the following day. And uh, here we are, 10 years of business with uh, Barbara by our side. That's awesome. I always hypothesize that people kind of know which shark they want. You can kind of tell when someone knows and doesn't know. What's the calculus there and how hard to go at a particular shark? I mean, I, I don't think you want to go too hard. I think they're all amazing. You know, so if you're fortunate enough to get a deal with any one of them, we know them all personally now, you, you're winning. So you can target someone, but at the end of the day, if you want to get a deal, you do a deal. Yeah, that's so great to hear. All right, so take me through uh, after the show. So just like generally speaking, if you were summarizing it, uh, next day, next week, next month, and next year in terms of like what happens post Shark Tank. Yeah, well, we did. So we did a little uh, party in Maine. Actually, we decided to do the kind of the show in Maine with our closest friends and family and people from the the lobster industry. That's cool. Um, rent, rented a little room and tried to celebrate as best possible. You know, no one had seen it. Really, we hadn't even seen it. We just were the only guys who knew the outcome. So it was kind of cool to be uh, part of that in our home state um, with our friends and family. Uh, so the next day, if you're asking, we're very hungover. Um, Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> a trend here. Yeah, tragically yeah. hungover. Um, you're drinking Maine style then. Yeah, yeah, I was drinking Maine style that night. Um, but no, you go and celebrate, you have fun. You know, the next year, I look at it and say, if you look at the next 365 days, you know, Barbara says it really well. She's like, that is your MBA after you go on Shark Tank and you air. Um, it's like taking your master's because so much stuff comes at you. If there is anything you can think of of a division in your business that you didn't even know about, be it shipping, logistics, trucks, uh, UPS, um, you know, anything, the Grammys, the Emmys, the people that want food. Um, and then, of course, the truck itself, where it's going. Uh, food, of course, we're in food. So every food vendor comes your way. It's just a yeah. you know, barrage of these emails and phone calls. And that's where it really becomes about, hey, you got to focus on what your business is and how to make it work and, and what's going to make you the revenue and, and help you provide for yourselves and family someday. And that means you need to weed out all the other stuff. And that's where Barbara was very uh, helpful in the beginning, you know, on helping to say, hey, focus on this, um, keep the other distractions away and uh, from being distractions. So that was really your kind of first year as you're trying to grow your business. And if you look at the next, you know, whatever decade it's been, you know, we grew our corporate trucks. Um, we used the platform. And when I say the platform, I mean Shark Tank. It gives you an opportunity. It doesn't guarantee success. You know, you wake up the next day or week or month. That's when the hard work starts. You have a target on your back. Nine, 10 million people have seen this. So we did everything we could to make it tick. We grew from one truck to eventually four corporate trucks in Los Angeles. And at the end of 2014, we started uh, franchising, which was a Barbara idea, which Saban and I had no idea what the hell that meant. Um, so now we're learning a whole new business within the business. And really been working on that for the last, you know, eight or nine years to where we now have 50 plus food trucks throughout the country, seven restaurants and a business in Maine that ships overnight online to people's doorsteps. That, that's amazing. Create Like the Greats hosted by Ross Simmons is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Each episode hosts an in-depth analysis of some of the greatest creations and creators of all time along with deep dive conversations on the creative process that went into building companies and brands. If you like learning about history or learning about the creative process, you'll like this podcast. 
Listen to Create Like the Greats wherever you get your podcasts. So when you came on the show, you had like 155 grand in sales, right? Uh, in two months, that was like a two, a two month period. Like, where are you in terms of sales right now? We're above a $50 million company now at this point. Uh, Amazing. You know, annually. So it's been a little bit of growth um, with a lot of headaches. Cool. <laughs> Biggest thing you'd change if you could go back in time? Uh, my business partner. <laughs> that was going to be my answer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I work with someone from LA. Yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we would. Uh, I don't think we'd change much, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we've made tons of mistakes and messed up so many times, but it's all part of the process. So, me personally, I wouldn't say much. Leaving the show that day, did you feel like you got a good deal, or were you feeling like, uh, like you you gave too much away? And how do you view that now, ten years later? I mean, I left the show and I was like. You know, a basket case. I went home. I I hid in bed and wouldn't celebrate at all. I was under the cover. <laughs> what have we done? You know, uh, and it wasn't because of the fifteen percent of the fifty five thousand. I just think there's so much nerves, wondering, you know, giving away a part of something that seems so promising and not knowing what Barbara is going to do. Yeah. Um, so that was my initial feeling. Jim was happy. Um, in hindsight, <laughs> it was the best decision we could have made. Um, you know, I think Barbara has a great deal for fifty five thousand for fifteen percent, but. She's done a lot for us to grow the business. So it's not like one of those things. She's put the work into. Yeah, we all have, you know? And so you can't look at it at the end and go, oh, well, she got a good deal or we did or whatever. We were all naive and brand new at the time. So was she. She was brand new and really in Shark Tank as well. Yeah. So Sabin, you went you went Brian Wilson style and you went home and you climbed into your bed in your your one bedroom and uh, you let all those lobster in, in the bedroom just kind of, it must have gotten pretty rough over time. Jim, what did you do after the show? Yeah, I, f- I focused on trying to get Saban out of the apartment for probably six or eight hours. I just wanted to go to Barney's Beanery, have a calzone and, you know, a vodka soda or a beer. I'm not sure. Uh, he was a basket case, still is, 10 years later. No, the reality is that we're, we're both a little bit different personalities, but it is, you walk out and you're like, holy smokes, I just gave away 15% of my company. It isn't about the number, it was about oh, three months into business, you know, what's the trajectory of this thing like, you know? And yeah, do we really need was to that do right? this? Was yeah. it a good deal? Again, you don't have a crystal ball. To Saban's point, it's been as good and even better than we possibly could have dreamed. For me, I was excited. I thought it was, uh, you know, again, I don't want to say once in a lifetime, but it was something that a lot of people uh, aspire to be on the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of mystique around Barbara. Tell, like, tell us about what Barbara's like. She's the best. Um, I think we talked to her more now about personal stuff, just life in general than business. She's available for us 24-7, always has been. And that's why we targeted her. We kind of felt like she would be like that. And some of the producers indicated that. Very maternal, kind, loving, funny. As far as a, a businesswoman, you know, she is honest, brutally honest. She doesn't claim to know it all. And that was one of the biggest learning lessons for us is we'd ask, we'd say things to her and she'd very often just say, what is that? What does that mean? What is that? What is that? <laughs> you kind of, at first were like, how the hell do you not know this? You know, because you, you put, put lobster in the roll. Like, <laughs> yeah, bro. You know, just little things. And, and you kind of assume that these celebrities and these big wigs know everything, but the smarter ones acknowledge that they don't. Um, and that taught us a valuable lesson early on is to ask tons of questions, but she's great. We actually, I was just with her last week in New York and she had a little, she had some of her Shark Tank groups and as an look into what she's like, when we set up dinner, we walk outside of the streets in New York and there's this yellow school bus, like old school yellow school bus that looks like it's from Woodstock, smells like it's from Woodstock um, <laughs> and just blaring music inside. And that was our transportation to dinner. And that's like where she is at whatever age she is, I'm not going to disclose it, 
but that's how she looks to have like fun with her people and always kind of create this refreshing, like there's a new hook, look, feel, marketing. It never needs to be bland, blah. Um, and that transcends into her companies. Got to dinner, walked downstairs, both ended the dining room. Everyone had to be blindfolded for the last two and a half hours to eat, drink wine, <laughs> eat your food, go to the bathroom. Like who does this? Who finds this type of shit? Um, the reality is, you know, she does. And that always kind of filters down to say the work's never done and you can always kind of get creative. She's wild. She's crazy. Uh, Jim almost burned her house down one time. Oh, uh, it's true. Can you tell us that story? In terms of the house I almost burned down, I went to her ski place and with my buddy and his wife and my wife. We went out to dinner and typically you'd sail for dinner for a couple of drinks. For whatever reason, we came home. It was like 11 o'clock at night. Go to, it's a three-level place. Go to open the basement door and just smoke comes billowing out. And I, at that moment, thought I was in the worst nightmare. We had a dog upstairs. Oh, no. Ran to find the dog. Wondered if this was real. Thought my business partner was going to be gone. I was calling Saban, but he wasn't picking up because he was at Barney's Beanery. Um, Calzone is too good. you know, is it <laughs> What came of that is that um, there was a little the little underneath counter uh, light in her kitchen that fell on its own, got on some napkins. It was up in flames. We threw it outside. So the reality is, is that the place reeked. All of her furniture absorbed that terrible smoky smell. Uh, we slept with the doors and windows open in probably 15 degree weather. And I was calling Barbara. She was East Coast. She calls me at six in the morning, and the first thing she says when I explain all this is she's like, well, are you okay? Are you and your wife and, and the guys okay? I said, yeah. She's like, all right, then who cares? You know, that's and, amazing. And that's where kind of like she looks out for you as a, as a human. She actually said, thank God you were there. If it was any of her friends at their age, they probably would have slept through it or not been able to smell the smoke or whatever. You know, she makes a joke about it that she's happy that her place is still standing because uh, we, we could kind of act on our feet, but. She cares about us as humans, and and that's that's real. Yeah, she sounds incredible. What uh, what do you think is the biggest lesson that Barbara's taught you? To be fearless. I mean, not to not be scared. A lot of people when they um, start businesses, you know, they're so worried about like making mistakes that they don't really go after things. Um, and we learned quickly like we have to just go and throw shit at the wall and hopefully it'll work. And so she's taught us that. I think just the ability to be yourself and not try to be anyone else, you know, not try to be polished. We're not polished. She's not polished. That's yeah. okay. You know, we didn't go to business school where, you know, we're just figuring it out like everyone else. So when you, you know, when you see a, a celebrity or this, you know, whatever you label you want to put on her and you see her be so vulnerable and so human, you realize that you can do that too. Uh, let me ask you. So you said Shark Tank was one of the best decisions you ever made. Uh, you said no a bunch of times. Is there like a set of conditions under which you'd recommend Shark Tank for an entrepreneur? Well, I mean, I don't know about conditions about your product or your business, but I guess I wouldn't go on the show for an advertisement. If you're not planning to do a deal, I wouldn't go on the show. Not that you need to do a deal, but if it, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. But I wouldn't go on there solely focused. I just want, you know, 12 minutes on national TV because the biggest misconception is that you go on any reality show or Shark Tank and that you wake up after having aired and that you're a millionaire or that you have a phenomenal business that's just going to the moon because that's when the work starts. So if you have a product that's not that good, if you don't have the right books and, and uh, you know business infrastructure or opportunity to grow, uh, or if you're not in it for the right reason, that all of that kind of attention and spotlight will go nowhere. You'll be forgotten about a day later, a week later, a month later. So why go through all that? But like you should go on there knowing that you're looking for a business partner that can help you in ways that maybe just the financial investment that you get from friends or family or someone would not help you, right? So Barbara gave us certainly other opportunities to tell our story 
But that was like when we really just were in the trenches and we were working our faces off and we still do in different ways than we did, you know, 10 years ago. But that's what I'd say. I mean, you go on the show really wanting a deal, finding a partner and just get ready for the work. Because if you don't want to work and you don't want long days, late nights, early mornings, then you're wasting your time. It's really just the start. You're signing up. You're signing up for a lot of pain, actually. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Uh, So sounds like there's a community with the Sharks. How much are you connected to other people who've been on Shark Tank? Is there like a real like community of folks who've gotten deals? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of like different, you know, places where, you know, like whether it's um, Facebook groups or there's tons of little groups throughout that have, that have sparred up. I mean, more so, I think we're just closer with Barbara's groups, you mm-hmm. know, you know um, but it's a really tight knit community, I think. And, you know, more than anything, I think people really just want to look out for each other and represent post Shark Take well. You yeah. can go on Shark Tank, but it's like what you do after, I think is equally, if not more important. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you ever? Do, how, how much do you watch the show? I don't personally watch it that much, but I don't really watch TV that much. But I think every once in a while, it'll you know it'll it'll come on, and I find myself watching it. It's it's just still weird to think that we're are, yeah. Are you hypercritical of uh, of the pitches you see? No, no. I mean, I think they've gotten a lot better. You know, yeah. if you look back where we were on those, you know, now they they're significant. Yeah. All right, guys, we're gonna do a lightning round here, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Toughest shark. Cuban. Cuban, toughest shark. I think he's a tough shark. Uh, Mr. Wonderful comes across as the toughest shark, though, I think, on the show, but I think Mark's might actually the toughest. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moment on the show you most regret? Moment on the show I don't regret is wearing a pink belt with fluorescent, <laughs> whatever I had, turquoise shorts on. Don't yeah. regret that. <laughs> it's like going on the show with a guy wearing a bright pink belt. <laughs> <laughs> Are Barbara and Mr. Wonderful actually friends? Yes. Yes. Mm. I feel like they're kind of like... Uh, Scalia and RGB a little bit, you know. Yeah, they're good friends, and he's cool. He's really cool. Yeah. Uh, do you actually still use 100% Maine lobster overnighted? Yes, not overnighted. We we don't overnight everything. Uh, least favorite way to eat lobster? Um, when say when Saban's trying to spoon feed me at the table, he's like, oh, give have you a this, bisque at the have table. This, have this baby. I'm like, no, come on, get out of here. <laughs> Sounds like you were spoon feeding him the day after the show. So it's true. It's nice you guys can share. <laughs> Look out for each other. All right, that's it. Thanks so much, guys. Of course. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Today's episode was written and produced by my favorite producer, Matthew Brown. Additional support comes from Melanie Romero. Now, I'll give you a few minutes to finish up that lobster tail, but after you're done, do me a favor. Wash your hands. You think they're going to be fine, but let me tell you, they're going to smell. Okay, so with the fresh hands, fire up your favorite podcast player follow or subscribe to the show and if you've already done it great thank you now tell your friends tell your foes tell your other favorite crustaceans paws and claws welcome all right that's it for me see you in the tank next week for another bite